Welcome to episode 332 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Michael, Lara, Juliet, Molly, and Tony. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Michael, Lara, Juliet, Molly, and Tony, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps a few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer and I'm actually your guest today because today's show is an episode of Sober Speak podcast in which the host, John M., talked to me or asked me to talk to him, I guess more precisely, about steps one, two, and three in Al-Anon. Sober Speak is mostly an AA-focused podcast, but he has occasional Al-Anon guests. I've been there a couple of times now. I thought I would share that talk with you as well. So here it is. Let's go on to Mr. Spencer T. Mr. Spencer T. He's going to be covering during this session the steps one, two, and three of Al-Anon. And Spencer's surrender date is April 10th of 2002. He addresses the anger and rage that came out sideways while he was dealing with active alcoholism. Uh, we also get a little cameo from Spencer's dog named DJ during the uh, episode. Uh, looks like DJ needed a little attention, and I'm glad that <laughs> Spencer was able to provide that. And a quote from Spencer during this that I had never heard before, and I, and I really liked it. Uh, people in Al-Anon may be real familiar with this uh, quote, but I, I had not heard it. And he said, uh, uh, I don't have to get on their roller coaster anymore. So, ladies and gentlemen, I know you're going to enjoy this episode, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this. Enjoy, Spencer. Okay, everybody. So today, we are sitting here, and we're fortunate enough to be sitting here with the one and only Mr. Spencer T. from The Recovery shows. So Spencer, first of all, why don't you go ahead and say hello to the audience and then I'll set it up a little bit more. Hello, audience. Good job. <laughs> all right. So Spencer uh, is, uh, like I said, he's from the recovery show. We've been talking about getting together for quite some time. And I will tell you that I have people uh, who write me Spencer, and they asked me if I have any recommendations on other recovery podcasts. And the first one that I always send them to is yours because I well, think thank you, you for do, that. You're quite welcome because I think you do an excellent job in so many ways. Uh, and it is just when I listen to it, it's relaxing for me. Absolutely love it. Okay, so this is a little bit of a different episode in that Spencer is not a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. But he is a member of the Al-Anon family group. So, Spencer, why don't you go over tell? I think you have what you call a surrender date. Is that what you call it? That's what I call it. Um, some people just call it their birthday. 
Um, but I call it my surrender date because for me, it was the day when I understand now, it was that day that I took the first step in my heart. I don't think I knew the words of the first step. I couldn't have told you what it said. Uh, I probably would have said, no way. But looking back, I know that on that, on that day in my heart, I took that first step. I understood and accepted my powerlessness. And so I call it my surrender date because that was the day that I surrendered my fruitless attempts to control my loved one's drinking. And what is that surrender date? That is April 10th. 2002. I like how you phrase that right off the bat. Uh, and that is that your fruitless attempts to control your loved ones. So let's, let me just give a little bit more of a setup. What we're going to do here is kind of start to meander through the steps of Al-Anon, uh, which are the same, but different uh, in terms of the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, as you know. Um, and the first step, let's talk about that first, right? So the first step, why don't you go ahead and tell me what the first step is in Al-Anon? So I'll just say for, for those of you who are familiar with the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps of Al-Anon have the exact same words except for one word in step 12, which we're not at yet, so I won't go there. Hmm. So the first step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Okay, so it is the exact same. It's, it uh, is the exact same step. Um, and we understand the meaning of that a little bit differently. Okay, talk about that. Right, because it's not my... Con- I mean, I'm not a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I thank God for me, don't have the allergy and the obsession. But so for me, it's not alcohol that I consume that I'm powerless over. It's the alcohol that is driving my loved one's addiction that I'm powerless over. And so it's a little bit maybe more subtle. It's a little bit harder to see because I could see that my life was, I don't know if I would have quite used the word unmanageable, but it sure as heck wasn't good. There was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of despair, fear, anger, frustration in my life that I didn't seem to be able to not have. Um, I was, I was a rageful person at that point in my life. I would, my, my anger would come out on anybody around me at the very slightest provocation, except mostly for my loved one who was the alcoholic in my life at that point. Hmm. It would come out on my children it would come out on my coworkers. And every time, like, you know, I would blow up at work and then I would have to have the talk with my boss and I would be like, well, I'm sorry, you know, I won't do it again. 
I mean, that sounds real familiar, right? I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And I meant it in that moment, okay? But I couldn't not do it, okay? So in that way, my life was unmanageable, but I had no idea why. You know, I didn't understand that that anger, that, I mean, I understood like when I was lying awake at night in, in fear of what would happen if, you know, she didn't stop drinking, if she, you know, killed herself drinking for God's sake. Um, you know, I knew where that was coming from, but there was all this other stuff going on in my life that I didn't understand was also connected to the alcoholism. So I was powerless over my loved one's consumption of alcohol, just as she was powerless over it herself. Um, and so that's what I say. It's a little more subtle because it's not so, it's not so obvious where that's coming from. And, and I, you know, and I've heard, I've heard enough stories from, you know, members of AA to understand that um, y'all often didn't understand where it was coming from for a long time either. Right. There was this day, April 10th, 2002. Um, my loved one was in a treatment center. This was her first inpatient treatment. And by that, you might understand that there had been outpatient treatments before and that there were more inpatient treatments to come. They had, as most of these centers do, a day for friends and family. Excuse me. That is my dog who's being unhappy about something. Oh, <laughs> what's your dog's name? This is DJ. Come here, DJ. It's all right, DJ. You're going to be on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Let me, if, if you can pause for a moment. Sure. Or whatever we'll you just do, pause right? for just yeah. a second. <laughs> Okay, DJ is where DJ go by Well, I put him out of the room. Um, it's possible he wants to go out, in which case I will need to to go down and let him out. But okay, um, he'll come back and tell me if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I was there, friends of family day, and they talk about alcoholism and they talk about whatever. I mean, I've been to many of them, and and there's a certain flow, and but that day. That day, I might have heard what the person said before. Those words might have been said to me before, but I, that day I heard them differently. And the words that they said was, I didn't cause it, I couldn't cure it, and I couldn't control it. Mm. They said, you didn't cause it. You can't cure it. You can't control it. And those words came into my heart and I felt a lightness of this burden of control being lifted from me. Had you ever heard those words before? As far I as you don't know. know. <laughs> I've been to I've been to at least two friends and family programs before that. I'm not sure. Um, and they might have said them. They might have because I, I know that that I had been told about Elanon before. And my reaction to that was, well, you know, I'm not the one with the problem here. Does that sound right? Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not the one with the problem here. She needs to fix herself and then we'll be fine. 
Um, but in the, it, it, that day, I, I, I understood that what I had been trying to do was not possible for me to do. And I won't say that having understood that once, that then I lived that for the rest of my time, because that is certainly not true. And so that evening, I went to my first Al-Anon meeting because I thought, well, okay, this is all well and good that I can't do it. And, and I, you know, that relieved me of that burden, but now what? Right? Now what? How do I live my life when I'm not trying to control somebody else's drinking? Mm-hmm. How do I feel all that time? Um, it really was, well, yeah, but I'm miserable. And if I, if I can't even try to control, well, what? And so I guess another thing that happened that afternoon, and again, I might've seen this thing before, but there was a little flyer. It's a, you know, one sheet of paper, not even a full sheet of paper. It's got 20 questions printed on it. And at the top, it says something like, is Al-Anon for you? I don't know. Are you, it says, are are, are you bothered by somebody else's drinking? I think is, is sort of what it says at the top. And I picked it up and it has these questions. And I looked at these questions and I tried to answer them as honestly as I could. And out of the 20 questions, I said unqualifiedly yes to 16 of them. And they're questions like, you know, have you ever tried to control somebody's drinking up to have the police come to your house or have you called the police, you know? And, and there were four questions, three questions I could say no to and one that I was baby. Okay. And then at the bottom, it says, if you answered yes to one or more of these questions, you might benefit from going to Ellen. <laughs> I was a math major in college. Okay. <laughs> I know like 16 is more than one. Right. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so I went to my first Al-Anon meeting that night, and uh, I cried. Um, I cried for probably my first month of Al-Anon meetings. Do you, so when you were crying, do you remember what the thought process was, why you were crying, what was going through your head at the time? I think it was one of these things where there was all this stuff bottled up inside, and here was a place that I could start to let it out. And it couldn't come out without tears. It just, it was, it was too deep and too strong to, to be able to come out. And, and also like the fear of, you know, if I can't fix it, what's going to happen to us, right? In my head, we go back to step one, the words in step one, in my head, my life was unmanageable, was a lot easier for me to admit in my head than I'm powerless. But as I say, in that moment, in, in that sitting in that room at the treatment center, my heart knew the truth of my powerlessness, um, which is where I felt that lightness, like I can't do it. Um, so I came to Eleanor, you know, a lot of people, I have heard a lot of people say, let me, let me be clear. I don't want to, I don't want to say what anybody else is thinking, but I've heard a lot of people say they came to Elanon to try to learn how to get their loved ones over. Right. They thought, Oh, these are the people that have the secret mm-hmm. because their therapist or somebody said, you know, you need to go to Elanon. Um, you're trying to control 
you know, your son's drinking, your husband's drinking, your wife's drinking, whatever, you should go to Al-Anon. And they're like, oh, these are the people who know the secret. Uh, and and one of my friends said that they went to several meetings because each meeting they went to, like, they didn't have that secret. And well, they must go to the next meeting. They'll, they'll have it. I did not have that experience. I came knowing that I couldn't fix it. Um, I came to see if there was any kind of relief for me. And I figured, I think, I mean, I don't even know what I was thinking. I was just thinking, I was just like, let's try this thing because I'm desperate. I don't know what else. I had the gift of desperation in that moment, right? And at the end of the first meeting, the thing that I knew was that I wasn't alone anymore. You know, that there were, <laughs> there was at least 20 people in my town that understood, right? It was this one room full of people that, that understood. I don't know how I knew that, but I did. And they said, keep coming back. And they said, here's some phone numbers, call. And yeah, right. Like that didn't happen. I did come back though, because I felt better and a little bit better. And, and because of this you know, alcoholism, addiction is a disease of isolation, along with all the other stuff that goes on, right? And those of us who are co-dependent, who are co-addicted, uh, also often isolate. I did. Um, I had a lot of shame. And I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody in my shame life about, about it. Shame about what? Well, you know, because like I was married to an alcoholic and I couldn't fix her. Right? Like that's somehow that's really shameful. It doesn't make it's not a logical thing, right? It's a feeling. Um and so I couldn't talk to anybody about it. I couldn't tell my family, I couldn't tell my friends. And I think if it, if I had tried, they wouldn't have understood, which you know, you also get that one, right? And here was a place where I could. As I came back, um, we, I think all 12-step programs have their slogans. Um, the big slogan that I picked up on at the beginning was let go and let God. And I don't know if we're going to get to step three today or even step two, but I wasn't sure about the God part. But I could try let go. I could try letting go of nagging. I could try letting go of slamming the wine bottles into the recycling as loud as I could. Um, I could let go of the idea that it was my job to control how much she drank. And again, I, I can't say that I was in any way 100% successful at letting go, but it was something that I started working on. And as I did that, like, I got better, <laughs> you know? Um, and also, it seemed like, and I have no evidence for this other than things happened. It seemed like when I stopped trying to do something about her drinking, she was more likely to step up and try to do something about herself. So after that inpatient um, 
she picked up again. I don't remember exactly how long it was. And I, as much as I could, kept my hands off. And a month or so later, she said, I want to go into this residential program. And this is, this is also where I start to see evidence of a higher power working in my life. Um, we had a little sports car that I call her midlife crisis car. <laughs> um, she had bought this car from a friend in Texas. She, she grew up in Texas and she, her friend had this little sports car that he was selling and we bought it for, I don't know, $5,000. And it was a fun car. Although I got the only moving violations of my life in that car, but it was a fun car. A little while before she decided she wanted to go into the residential program. The car was parked on the street and somebody ran into it and totaled it. And, you know, we spent $5,000 on it. So it didn't take a whole lot to total it. That money that we got from the insurance company was the down payment on her treatment. And I remember sitting in an Illinois meeting later that summer. And I don't know, I guess the topic was probably gratitude and, and saying, I think I have to be grateful to the person that ran into our car because that gave us the money for my wife to go to treatment. But that's getting a little ahead of the story, I guess. Anyway, so step one, um, I picked it up and I put it down and I picked it up and I put it down. Um, it's really hard to define, to recognize relapse in Al-Anon. Um, sometimes I think we, we can do it multiple times a day. But I will say, um, she went to this residential program. She was sober for something like eight months, um, and she relapsed. And when I discovered the relapse, I picked up control. Okay, this was this was my big like this was my relapse. Um, I picked control back up, and I said, "You need to go back to treatment." We agreed when you came out that if you relapsed, you would go back. So you need to go back. So she went back for a month. And when she came out, she drank that night. And that was, I think that was when I really understood my powerlessness. Like mm. all the way through, not just in my heart, but all the way through. Like this is not possible. This is not something I can do. Um, and as far as I know, from that point, I totally let go of attempts to control, as far as I know. <laughs> let me just do a little announcement here. We will be continuing our conversation with Spencer T. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at www.soberspeak.com. Um, you can also find the donate button on our website. You can use if then only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. So Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, or organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right. Now back to Mr. Spencer T's. Yeah. So step one, kind of clear, 
very difficult, no matter I think what, you know, whether you're, you're co-addicted or, you know, you have a substance or a behavior, it's hard. Uh, it's really hard to do it on your own. Um, and for me, there were a lot of little back steps and, and that one big one that, um, you know, the difference between that was, was I had a program that I could pick it up and I could, I started going to a lot more meetings um, and I got back to sort of my balance pretty, excuse me, pretty quickly. So um, I'm always curious about that from a Al-Anon perspective. You know, I see it a lot, obviously, from a uh, an alcoholic perspective. People go back out and and then I get I get phone calls, quite honestly, and, you know, messages from family members saying he is back out again. What should I do? And, uh, you know, the thing that I always suggest, obviously, is take care of yourself and go to Al-Anon meetings. Um, but from a, from an Al-Anon's perspective, somebody has, somebody was sober for a particular period of time. Then they go back out. Yeah. And they start drinking again. Yeah, what is? I, mean, I don't even. I, I don't even understand how you get back to what, what you said. Something like I got back to serenity or whatever pretty quickly. How does that happen? Um. Well, you know that's where I think steps two and three come in because I don't think I don't think I could do it by myself. Um, I'll give you one other a, a friend of mine whose loved one had some sobriety and then went out again has said, you know, I don't have to get on his roller coaster anymore. Mm. I'm not completely okay, but I'm also not being dragged around. I'm not going up and down the hills on his roller coaster. So that's, that's maybe another way to look at it. Um, as, as we got further along in our story, uh, her story includes a number of relapses, a number of rehabs, um, a couple more residential visits to, to a different program, and a fairly – I've heard her say that, that she feels she had a pretty low bottom. Um, you know, she still had a house to live in. She still was able to eat and and all that because I was supporting us. But what I saw was that I didn't know whether she was going to be able to find her way to sobriety or if this disease was going to take her away. And I had the support of the program, the support of friends, the support of a loving higher power that let me be okay. I won't say happy, um, but I could be okay. I could, I could continue to live my life. I wasn't, you know, awake in the middle of the night and, and just having my stomach chewed up. So that's where I got to after like three and a half years in, in the program. And so I'm assuming at this time, your wife is, how do I put this? Like, 
okay, you're in the house. I, are you all sleeping together? Is she drunk next to you? You've seen her drunk all the time. I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so, so then let me ask you this. There are people out there. I know they're listening, right? And they're where you were many years ago now, Yeah. back in 2002. Yeah. And they're saying to themselves, should I stay or should I go? And I know that it's, I know there's no easy answer for this and you're not going to give advice, but you do have experience. There is no easy answer to that question. And I had that same question and it actually took me a couple of years to find my answer to that question. Um, And my answer was stay. My answer was that, you know, the person I loved was still there in this disease. Um, right now, jumping forward, um, my father is in somewhere in the end stages of Alzheimer's. He's still my father, even though he doesn't act like my father he's not the he's not the brilliant you know loving person well loving okay <laughs> he's he's not the person that my father was but he's still my father and and it's really hard to see that sometimes um just as it was really hard to see you know the the amy that i married in the alcoholism but what I came to understand, and, and again, the support, the guidance of a higher power was very evident to me there because I heard that voice saying to me, you know, there's the person you love. Um, she's in the grips of this disease, but she's still there. And in that in that moment, I could make that decision to stay. But up until that point, I really, I didn't know what the right answer was for me. Because neither answer seemed like the right answer. As you know, there's a fine balance between enabling and finding that quiet spot within you that says, this is the right answer. And... Yeah. And anyway, I'm just thinking about all the people listening, just struggling with that particular decision point. So the thing that I heard in meetings, and as you said, we, we try not to give advice because what is right for me may or may not be right for you. But the, the thing that I heard that is probably the closest to advice I got besides keep coming back. Okay. We do say that was if you don't know, the answer to a dilemma you're faced with and you're not in immediate danger of harm. You don't need to make a decision right away. Mm, Sage advice. Um, And, and I took, you know, we, we tend, we often abbreviate that to don't just do something, stand there, you know, Um, you know, instead of don't just stand there, do something. It's like, no, don't just do something like stand there until you know what's the right thing. But it did take a couple of years and it was, <laughs> you know, it's not easy living in indecision. 
right? Uh, but it 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 it's what what working this program and I worked this program I think pretty hard. Um, I came in and I started to hear that there were people who were you know living with alcoholism, but they were not like all messed up like I was. Like they were they were kind of okay. They were sometimes happy. Like how did that happen? You know, and they're like, well. Go to meetings, read the literature, get a sponsor, work the steps. I'm like, well, okay, that doesn't make sense, but I guess I'll do it. <laughs> um, and so I did that. You know, I got a sponsor pretty quickly. And the next step that I came to was step two, um, which is uh, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I love the the decomposition that I've heard of the first three words of that step because. I came, you know, that's what I did first. I came. That was, that was the action that I could take. I came, I started coming to meetings. I bought the books. I was listening to people. I was reading the literature and I got to say, you know, reading the literature and it's, it's like the big book, the AA, the Elanon book called how Elanon works. It's got the program in the front and it's got stories in the back. And I could read those stories and I could get a little bit of peace and I could get to sleep maybe. Um, and I could read the front and I could start to understand what this crazy program was maybe about. Um, so step two came to believe. So I came and I started participating. I started engaging and I started to wake up. I started to come to. I started to hear what the program was saying. I started to take a little bit of it in and I came to believe that this power, that this program could help me. And that's all I needed for step two. To believe that there was some power greater than me, which for me at the beginning was the group and the program, the literature, the meetings, the groups, that that power was greater than me and that it already was starting to restore me to sanity. Um, I still was like, but God, what is this God thing? I don't know. Um, I loved the, the program you had on the guy you had on um, last week um, talking about step three and, and you got a little bit into step four. What was his name? Bill C. Yeah. Um, I, I really like what he said matches where I finally came to, which is I don't have to name a God. I don't have to visualize a God. I don't even have to name it God. But I have this experience, right? It's that, that, that God is not a thing or a being. God is an experience. And that, you know, I had the experience, but I had the difficulty of putting that three-letter word name on that experience. Um, but but I, I understand now that understanding that, yeah, there is a higher power and I'm not it is the essence of step two. And that if I let it, it can restore me to it can bring me out of the insanity that I was living in. I guess, you know, that's what restore me to sanity means, right? 
but I struggled with this idea that I had to have a picture of whatever my God might be. A picture. So what did you have a picture before? No. Well, yeah, I had a picture of what it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't the guy with the beard sitting up in the sky judging me. Like I rejected that. And by rejecting that, I rejected the notion. I rejected the experience. So like Bill C. talked about uh, in that episode, and I know what you're talking about. He said, basically, sometimes when you bring up the word God and you put it at the center of a table, people bring their their baggage with it and they associate all their baggage. So they're more thinking about what they don't believe. Yes, I brought my baggage. Um, But I could see that I was being helped. And I had these little experiences of, you know, the car, the car getting wrecked. So we had the money to pay for recover, to pay for the first part of, 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 of the treatment. Um, you know, there were some others that happened where I would get this, you know, voice, whatever you want to call it, that was telling me things that I would not have told myself. You mean like a inner, uh, an, an inner, inner voice, voice, if you will. Gotcha. Yeah. Still small voice, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, example. Uh, the other example that I, that I, that I cite often is, um, so she got out of treatment after out of, out of the inpatient, uh, the residential treatment, I think it was four months, four or five months. Um, and we were 18 years married at that point. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, and we had these wedding bands that we had bought when we were young and foolish and, and they weren't very durable. And she said, you know, I'd like to get wedding bands that, that will actually last that we don't have to keep getting fixed. Um, and so we went to the local like high end jeweler guy who does his own designs and she found a ring she loved and it cost a certain amount of money. And my reaction was no way in hell. <laughs> right. Which answer didn't go over real well, as you Not might bad. imagine. Right. Um, and I don't know, a few days later, maybe I'm just walking down the street and this little voice in my head, this, you know, you can call it God. You can call it my subconscious, whatever you want to call it said, this is really important to her. You need to do this. Mm. Okay. Where'd that come from? Right. Um, and I said, okay. And then we went to another jeweler and she found a ring that was very similar that she liked just as well. That was less than half the price. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, And I feel like there, by letting go of my resistance, you know, my higher power was telling me, you need to let go of that attitude. And then we came actually to an answer that was a lot easier for me to accept. Just happened. I I can't say for sure, is that God or not? But But it was coming at the time that I was sort of struggling with steps two and three. Uh, and and it's like, yeah, okay. So that came at just the right time to help me with this understanding. 
So in the book, I think it talks about something to do with the rearrangement of a personality and, you know, acting in different ways. And so that's what I'm thinking of when, when that happened for you. And I had some similar experiences. Um, So then we come to step three, which is like, okay, now that I've accepted that there's some power greater than me and that it can help me. And now I have to like make this decision to like, give up my control over myself. What the hell? Okay. (laughs) And step three uh, made a decision, excuse me, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Right. So let me ask you this real quick before you go into it. In Alcoholics Anonymous, there's it's page 63 of the big book. Everybody knows the prayer. You know, you kind of get on your knees and you say that what sort, is there some sort of, uh, uh, standard way to no. do step three? No, I don't think there is. Um, some people use that prayer. Um, and, and actually I eventually years later came, came to that. Um, I reworded it a little bit to fit with, you know, my personal religious understanding, but that's, but the idea that the, the phrase in there of relieve me of the bondage of self is the, the one that really, speaks to me personally um, because what I, what I have seen is that when I try to take control with my own will is when things more often don't work out. Right. Um, So I struggled with step three and my sponsor said, fake it till you make it. My sponsor said, act as if because step three only says we made a decision, right? It doesn't say, I have to give it up right now. It just says, I have to make a decision that I'm going to give it up. If you look at the words precisely, and that was important to me. The other part of step three that that was important to me because, you know, my ego, I'm sure, like, I don't want to give up, like, my direction of my own life. What the heck um, is care of? And the understanding that I've come to of how my higher power works in my life is that my higher power gives me guidance. And that if I pay attention to that guidance, which is what like step 11 is about. um, If I pay attention to that guidance, that I will be led to better outcomes for me. So step three says care of, and and when I understand that word care of to mean, like my higher power wants me to do well, wants things to work out well for me. So it's going to give me hints and clues and sometimes outright smacks upside the head mm-hmm. um, to get me to understand what that path that works out better for me is. And so step three is I'm going to listen and I'm going to try to follow that path to the best I understand it. And that's, that's the way. So that's one way that I understand step three. The other one that I've come to more recently and partly I think from listening to some of the guys on, on your podcast and, and probably on other recovery podcasts and open, open speakers is that the other thing that step three 
means, and, and I use this with like sponsees who are, you know, atheist or just have a whole lot of trouble with the God concept. Um, the only thing that step three is asking me to do is to give my life and my will over to the subsequent steps of this program. Mm-hmm. That by taking step three, I make a commitment to do the rest of the steps because that's how my life's going to get better. Um, you know, and the higher power comes back up in the later steps and, and, and I need a deeper understanding at that point. If I don't get past step three, I don't get to the recovery. Right. I can keep coming to meetings. I can keep having people understand what my life is like. I can keep feeling a little better, but I don't change. Mm-hmm. And my life doesn't really get better if I don't change. That's right. It's like going to church on Sundays and doing nothing Monday through Saturday, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going to the gym once a week. That's right. Same deal, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, or buying a gym membership. It's sort of like buying a gym membership and then not going to the gym, actually. Um, <laughs> which, you know, right now I'm not going to the gym because of other reasons, but thank you, COVID. Um, but where I was at with that, um, working the program, yeah. If I don't change, things don't really get better. Um, and And step three is a commitment to me to keep doing that. Um, in the process, I find a connection with something greater than myself that helps me in so many ways. Um, but I have to get past step three. And that's what my, my early sponsor meant by saying, act as if, you know, do this, do the, do the work, put one foot in front of the other, act as if there's a higher power guiding your life. And you know what? You will come to find that there is a higher power guiding your life. That's great. That is a that is a that is a good succinct discussion, my friend, on steps one, two, and three. If anybody, and I know everybody's going to want to listen to your podcast, which is once again an excellent podcast called The Recovery Show, not Recovery Show, The or The, however you want to say that word. Yes. Um, how yes. do they find your podcast? So we are at therecovery.show is the website. You can go there. There's links to subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and all that fun stuff. Uh, Or you can just play it directly on the website, especially if you're just like checking it out. Um, And that little emblem they'll look for, that's a moth. Is that right? It's a Luna moth. Um, it's it's a light green moth with a kind of fancy shaped wings. Yeah, and why why is that the emblem or whatever you call it for your show? So there's a, and this is actually a coincidence, but there's a sort of unofficial symbol for the Al-Anon program of a butterfly. I think it has to do with like uh, you know the caterpillar turning into a butterfly and being born and and that sort of thing, um, and. And I was just looking for a logo for the show back when we started it. Like, you got to have something, right? And I don't know how that came to me, but I had this picture. This moth had been on the outside of a screen door at my parents' house, and I had taken a picture of it. And I thought, you know, this is a cool little thing. It's kind of recognizable, and there's there's some symbolism here. So I just 
I just used it and, and have, you know, I've had it ever since. Uh, I, probably some guidance from a higher power there. Okay. There you go. So bring it back to the theme of the podcast. Well, I definitely recognize it when I see it. So you're doing something right. So we will, uh, I'm sure, pick it up at some later date. Uh, start with uh, four and just like I said, kind of meander and see yeah. where we get, my friend. Does that sound step good to you? Four, that step that I was never going to do. That's right. <laughs> I'm not going to do those 12 steps, and I'm especially not going to do that one. <laughs> or the amend step. Yeah, there's there's that one too. But you know, if I wasn't gonna do four, I'd never get to nine. So All right. Uh, hold on, I need to grab my big book here. Yeah. So yeah, a little bit of a teaser for the next one. Yep. <laughs> All right, so uh I'm gonna close it out with page one sixty-four from the book. It says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God, admit your faults to him and to your fellows, clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Spencer T. As you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. Spencer, thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, thanks for asking me. God bless. Thank you, Mr. Spencer T. For coming in here to share some of your insight and wisdom, not only with me, but the rest of the Sober Speak audience regarding the steps of Al-Anon. Um, I so appreciate it. I, in so many ways, have mimicked the format of your show, and you have spent hours with me um, teaching me about the skill of podcasting, and I am forever grateful for that. Please give my best to your lovely bride, Amy. If you are out there and you enjoyed this episode and you believe someone in your family or a friend may benefit from hearing this, please take a moment to pause your device and share this episode with them. It may be just what they need today. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery this week? This week's been much like previous weeks in terms of not much happening except work and home. I did find myself this week needing to take a little more time off from life. I hope this is not a trend. I think it's partly because it was cold and rainy for a good part of the week, and that always depresses my mood a little bit, which is why this episode is short and late. Short, at least in terms of how much work I had to do for it. But I recognized that it was important for me to not push the boundaries of my day, to not get up early, to not go to bed late, to keep myself healthy and balanced. I'm recording this just at the beginning of the Memorial Day weekend, I'm looking forward to an extra day off. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it, and that's probably a good sign. This morning's meeting, we talked about step five, and I reflected on the power of sharing secrets, the 
saying we're only as sick as our secrets after the third time I had done step five prompted me to go back to the person I had done it with and say, you know, there's something else that I didn't talk about. Here's a thing that I did. Here are my wrongs in that thing that I did. That thing had been more than 30 years old at that point. And it was still eating at me. It was still, as we say, living rent-free in my head. The power of finally admitting it out loud to another human being caused it to lose that power, allowed me to live with it without it taking over sometimes. So there's a lot of power there in that fifth step. We have a couple of shares from Alina. She talks about living with alcoholism and spiritual progress. Hi, my name's Alina. I wanted to share on episode 70 about living with alcoholism and addiction. I think that for me, I know I'm falling short in my program when I feel like he's in his addiction and in his head, you know, and it affects me just because of the things that he says and how he acts. And I just feel extremely uncomfortable. I do feel like escaping. I do feel like sometimes I can cope with it. And I don't know why that is. And other times I feel like I can't, like there's no end and I feel alone and desperate. All these times I try to figure out why is it sometimes I can cope with it and sometimes I can't. I'm always trying to practice my program, use the tools that I've learned, reaching out to my sponsor and to my Al-Anon friends, trying to go to meetings and read the literature. I know that I find trouble in having balance with a lot of my program stuff. I feel like sometimes I'll be really, really good at writing in my journal and getting my thoughts down on paper. And that seems to work well for me. And, you know, sharing and and reaching out and opening up. And then I fall short on my reading. And so then I try to get back into my reading and my meetings fall short. It's just sometimes overwhelming. I guess I really don't have to figure it out. And I just have to accept the fact that sometimes I can cope with it. And sometimes I can't. I know that when I can't, I get in that desperate state of mind where I just want to get in the car and just drive off and not turn around. You know, I guess that's okay. You know, I try not to isolate as much as I, you know, want to so badly. My other qualifier is my best friend and that can be a struggle too. I mean, he is sober and clean for a year and a half, but he's not really in a program. Sometimes it's difficult because I'll try to use my tools and detach myself and do certain things. And he knows that and it bothers him. And then he will trigger me in some way. He'll push my buttons and everything. So it is really difficult. But I do like the fact that people spoke in this podcast about no one's asking me to leave or no one's asking me, why are you still with this person? And, you know, they don't judge. There's an understanding that there's unconditional love involved. These people are qualifiers or people in our life that trigger us. I mean, we love them and we're here for a certain reason. they're good people. I've come to learn that. I know I'm a good person as well. And sometimes I don't feel deserving of certain things or how I'm treated, but I know I have to let that go. I really did like this topic. I thought it was really good. And especially the fact that you can live with an alcoholic or an addict and 
it doesn't have to be the end and it, you don't have to be a doormat. You can actually live a happy life and be grateful and just know that. So there is hope. You know, that's one of my favorite words. So I'm appreciative of that. Thank you. I wanted to share on episode 72 on spiritual progress. For me, it took a long time to, I don't know, maybe realize that I had gained spiritual progress. I was baptized as Catholic, but we were never really, you know, because my dad was an alcoholic and my mom was dealing with that. I think we periodically went to church, but it was never a thing that was embedded in us as we were younger and growing up. I do recall attending church on occasion and stuff like that. And I do believe in God and I do believe in heaven and and all that too. And I know that I don't really want to, you know, dwell on my beliefs as far as religion goes, but as far as believing in a higher power, I guess all along I've always assumed that everyone believed in that or everyone had something. But as an adult, I come to realize that for some, it might not be there or the belief may not be there or maybe they have their own idea of what that means for them. But for me, I never really leaned on a higher power or a spiritual awakening or never had anything like that. As an adult, you know, coming into Al-Anon, you hear a lot about your higher power and having a spiritual awakening. I don't know. I can see that a little bit now, like realizing that I can let things go and I don't have to be perfect and I can give it to God and things are going to be okay. I don't know. It's kind of a relief actually to know and believe in it. I heard a lot of it in the program when I first started, but actually believing it took took some time, but I really appreciate the share and what everyone said. And it does help alleviate some of the pressure and anxiety that I feel and the stuff that I'm going through in my program. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Krista shared some of her experience, strength, and hope. Hi, everyone. It's Krista. I just listened to your podcast. It was a siblings roundtable. I'm I'm way out of line with the dates, so I just kind of jump around, but I'm way back in the beginning. Anyhow, I just wanted to share on that topic. I do have a sister that I I lost to alcoholism. She died actually of suicide. And had I not had Al-Anon, it would have probably killed me too. I just, it was devastating. And the first, the very first thing I did was call my sponsor before anyone else. I just said, I don't know what to do. And we talked and she walked me through it one thing at a time, one step at a time literally what to do. Like, do you need to work? Do you want to go? You know, just really the basics. I was in so much shock. I just want to say Al-Anon has truly saved my life and I'm extremely grateful for recovery. I'm grateful for all of you out there listening and contributing. And I'm grateful that we have this podcast to listen to and to share to and just another recovery community. I'm eternally grateful, and I hope you all have a great day. Thank you, Alina. Thank you, Krista. You can join our conversation by leaving a voicemail or sending an email. 
you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website. You can send email either with a voice memo or just plain text email to feedback at the recovery.show. All that information is in the contact page at therecovery.show slash contact. We would love to hear from you. We do love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about steps one, two, and three, or if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. All the information that you need about The Recovery Show is on our website, therecovery.show, which includes notes for each episode. This one will be at therecovery.show slash 332. Speaking of feedback, we did get some. Annie wrote with a topic idea. The suggestion for me is how to deal with the death of one's alcoholic slash addict. Two people in my home group have lost their dear ones, one to the overdose of their child, the other to her husband's sudden passing. The latter has been harder as she was quite new to Al-Anon and not grounded in the personal work. If you have dealt with, are dealing with, are fearing that your alcoholic, your addict, your loved one will die of their disease or of complications from their disease, please call, write, share your experience, strength, and hope, share your fear. That could be, I think, quite a powerful episode. A listener wrote me uh, with a suggestion of maybe putting a time limit on voice shares from people who call in. I guess I'd like to hear from you about how you feel about that. I can see both sides of that sometimes, as in meetings, sometimes people maybe run on a little bit. But on the other hand, I never know which part of what somebody has to say is going to touch me or somebody else. I feel blessed to be able to provide a place where you can share your experience, your strength, your hope, your fears, your worries, your questions. So anyway, let me know how you feel about that one way or the other. Thanks. Fiona writes, Hi, Spencer and fellow listeners. First, I want to thank you and all involved in the production of this podcast. Your podcasts have helped me with a big breakthrough in my recovery in Al-Anon recently and also with my codependency. I have been married to my AH, and I'm not sure what she means by AH, alcoholic husband maybe, for almost 40 years and would not want to be married to anyone else. Being the fix-it person, I thought that if I didn't cover up my husband's drinking from our sons, I could save them from this horrible disease of addiction. However, two days after his 29th birthday, the younger of my sons called me from New York and said he needed to come home to go into rehab for alcoholism. That phone call took my family and I on a journey that at times I wish had started much earlier in our lives. The bravery of my son led me into the rooms of Al-Anon, which has been a lifesaver. I have found a home group and have a sponsor and am working my program. Your podcasts, however, are the most helpful. During this quarantine, I have been walking, and I look forward to listening to the podcast on my walks. It's helpful to hear the shares and realize I am not alone. I have been blessed by my higher power that during these weeks of quarantine that both my husband and son have been sober. 
We are all living in the same house at this time. Neither one is in a program. What I have come to realize during this time is that I have so much to work on with me. Despite the situation at home being good, because of my old habits, I managed to find chaos in my head. My husband has not been drinking because he is on medication. I can't say that I'm experiencing any dry, drunk, adverse behavior because my husband is really a wonderful man. We have a business together. He manages the financial aspect of the business. In the past, his drinking has caused great angst because he would just be absent and things would fall behind. I thank my higher power that at the beginning of this quarantine, my husband was sober because I needed him to secure our finances. We were working together as a team, which is what we have been doing for the past 28 years of our business. My son, who had a very challenging year since rehab, is doing great. He did lose his job after a month of rehab, not because of drinking, but because he self-sabotaged himself and basically had an emotional meltdown. He did his 90-day, 90-meeting outpatient program and was successful. He is very motivated and intelligent young man, and he tells me, I don't want to be that person. He is very much aware of his illness, and each day he learns more and more. I wish he was in his own AA program, but this is his journey. I can honestly say that me working my program and the changes in my behavior has enhanced the relationship with my son. I can truly say that your podcast has been the major factor that has led me to the serenity I am enjoying at this time. Thank you for your work, Fiona. And Fiona, thank you for sharing your experience and you know the things that you are doing to support yourself. I think that's really important for all of us to remember at this time. A listener wrote and asked... Hey, would it be possible to get all the episodes on a USB drive and, and what would that cost? I responded that honestly, I had not thought about that at all as an, as an option, but I can see where you might want to be able to take them with you somewhere where you don't have Wi-Fi. So I looked and right now our 331 episodes that are currently published take up about 12 gigabytes, which means they should fit on a 16 gigabyte USB drive. So then I went and looked at USB drives and I could get 16 gigabyte drive for 10 to 20 bucks, maybe, maybe a little cheaper. So it's certainly feasible. It would be some work for me. Let me know. Is this something that, that you would like? Is this something that it might be worth my time to, to put together? Or maybe, you know, maybe somebody else could do it for me. I could give you a drive with 331 episodes on it, and then you could make copies and send them out to people. That that would be helpful. Because for me, it's the time more than anything that would be a factor. Interesting idea. And certainly feasible. Susan wrote about the online meetings page. Wow, who knew there were meetings outside my county? Great information. Thank you so much. An Al-Anon friend told me that Mary Pearl is doing a Monday night meeting currently going through the steps in the big book. Does anybody know about this and how to get into it, I guess? So if you do, please write. Let me know. I, I would love to, to check in on that, assuming it's still going. Arlene writes, Dear Spencer, I'm only two weeks into recovery. Family intervention worked in getting my 45-year-old son into treatment. His addiction included prescription drugs, Adderall, and pot. I've been Zoom meeting, reading one way at a time, and listening to your podcast. Your podcasts are where I find the most help. Yesterday, I listened to episode 322. The letter that the mother wrote to herself was so powerful. Is there any way to get a copy of that letter? As an enabler, which I am working on, that letter gave me strength as I listened to it being read. A copy of my own would be so helpful. 
Thank you. Blessings to you and your family. Arlene. I wrote back to Arlene. There is a link to the letter actually in the show notes for episode 322 at therecovery.show slash 322 slash 322. So if you want to get a copy of that for yourself, go to therecovery.show slash 322 in the section titled Readings and Links. There is a link to the letter. Lisa left us a voicemail. Hi, my name is Lisa. I just found your podcast recently. So I've listened to a lot of the reruns. And I have to first say thank you so, so much. It's helped me tremendously. I am an alcoholic. I am a child of an alcoholic. My fiancé, the love of my life, is an alcoholic. I recently woke up after a night of binge drinking with my fiancé and had a stroke the next morning. He took me to the hospital during the stroke. I also had a seizure. I have three different heart problems. I know it's a lot due to the alcoholism in my life. I stopped drinking. The last time I took a drink was 18th of April. I'm doing pretty good now. I'm, I, I don't even know what day it is today. I, with all the coronavirus, I've stopped keeping track of the days. But what I do to not drink when he's drinking is I go onto my back porch and I've learned to paint mandelas and painting rocks and sitting and listening to your podcast, which has kept me sane, honestly. And I just, I wanted to thank you tremendously, tremendously, because I don't, if it wasn't for listening to your podcast, I don't know how I could make these nights of him drinking. I just wanted to tell you, thank you. Thank you so much. You're saving my life, literally. Bye. Thank you, Lisa. It's a difficult time for all of us, and more difficult when active alcoholism or addiction is involved. Penelope writes, Dear Spencer, Eric, and guests, I've been enjoying your podcast for several years, but it is especially good to have during this challenging time of limited social outings. I've printed out the list of all the back episodes so I can listen again to my favorites or search by subject. I really enjoyed Julie's discussion of the 12 steps this week and listened to it twice. One thing from my gratitude journal these days is the technology that allows me to meet with Alnon groups via phone conference, Zoom, and podcasts. Stay well, and we'll get through this one day at a time. Penelope. And that's for sure, Penelope. Yes, thank you. Kathleen writes, Good evening, Spencer. I recently found your podcast, and I am extremely grateful. In Maine, we have limited meetings, and with the pandemic, even less local virtual meetings. Your podcast has been a prayer answered and has really spoken to me. My 32-year-old son has been an addict for 15-plus years, and because of his addiction, has been homeless on and off for 10 years. He's currently in the hospital, having just received his second heart valve replacement due to intravenous drug use and a subsequent fungus infection. The doctors have told him if he uses again, he will die. He doesn't seem to understand the severity and can't wait to get out to smoke marijuana because it's a herb, not a drug. Sigh. His 10 weeks in the hospital is coming to an end a week from Saturday on the 6th of June. With the pandemic, we have not been able to visit, which has been hard for him, but honestly easier for me. 
When he gets out, he has nowhere to go, no job and no money. He expects me to pick him up, get him an apartment, and help him get on his feet. As his doctors have said, living on the streets is a death sentence. I have worked hard over the years on my codependency issues and to not enable his behavior, but I'm feeling less strong this time. It's one thing for him to use and be homeless, but this is life and death. Aside from my son, my dad passed away from a stroke a week prior to my son being admitted to the hospital. With my dad passing, I have become my mother's caregiver with early dementia. I wanted to thank you for the podcast and all you do. I'm grateful to have found you. Overwhelmed in Maine, Kathleen. That sounds very overwhelming, Kathleen. I hope that you have uh, a sponsor or a trusted program friend or a pastor, a minister, somebody, a therapist that you can talk to about the things that are weighing on you, because it's really hard for me to imagine doing this sort of thing alone. Wow. Marissa writes, Hi, Spencer. I hope you are continuing to do well during the COVID pandemic. I'm going backwards in episodes and came across number 188, which is titled Detachment with Love. It's excellent. So much great recovery. I was wondering if you had a copy or link to the flyer you read from at the beginning of the episode. I'd never heard it before and would love to have a copy for myself. Keep up the great work. Thanks kindly, Marissa. The flyer that I read from at the beginning of episode 188 is called Detachment. It's actually available as a download from Al-Anon. I will put that link in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 332 and also at the recovery.show slash 188. If it's, I don't think it's already there. So if it's not already there, I'll put it there because yeah, uh, you can also order a pile of them if you want to have them at a meeting whenever we get back to face to face meetings. Being they're like three cents each. So it's not something you want to order just one of if you're ordering it from the Elanon store on the Elanon website. And while you're at the Al-Anon website, consider buying some literature or just making a donation. The World Service is struggling financially right now. They have a budget deficit, and I believe they had to furlough or lay off some employees because of that. Because people are not going to meetings and putting money in the basket, and then the meetings are not sending that money on to the World Service because they don't have it. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.